ask you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And I'll ask you to keep your Bibles handy as there are some passages that I will want you to see for yourselves that they actually are in the Word of God. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. There ends a reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your holy word. We thank you for this wonderful account of the resurrection of our Savior. And Lord, we pray now as we absorb this passage and as we try to embrace the depths and the truth of what went on on that glorious day and how it applies to us this very day. We ask that you administer to us through the work of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and through the humble means that you've ordained the preaching of your word. So please do send your spirit in a special way to the preacher and to all of us who will hear today as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would imagine that it was something of a spoiler 
when our call to worship began, Jesus is risen, he's risen indeed. But of course, you know why you're here today. It's really no spoiler. You know why you're here. And you probably know the account of what we are dealing with fairly well. In the scheme of things, in the scheme of things, just days ago, we commemorated the death of Christ. Just days ago, as far as our passage is concerned, there was the death of Christ. But we're here today to celebrate his resurrection. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, there's no reason for us to be here today. There's no reason for us to be here any Sunday, but Jesus is risen, and so we're here to celebrate that. You might be here for different reasons today. You might be here today because this is very personal, because Jesus is your Savior, and you're here to celebrate the one who died for you and the one who is alive and the one who owns you. You might be here because of tradition, maybe merely tradition, but maybe both. Because you belong to Jesus and because it's your tradition to celebrate this way. You might, you might be here because you're obligated to be here. You might be here just because you decided to be here. I can tell you this, for whatever reason you chose to be here, I can tell you this very clearly. God has a reason for you to be here today. That is beyond question. And so as we think about the resurrection of Christ, think about why the Lord has you here today. Now, as the account goes, we know that Jesus had his ministry for approximately three years, that he was an enemy to many who didn't believe. He had many followers as well. But we know that recently he was arrested, that he was beaten, that he was crowned with a crown of thorns, that he was further brutalized, that he was scourged. We know that he was crucified and left to die on the cross. We know that his side was pierced to prove the fact that he really was dead. Gross injustices led to Jesus' death. And yet we also know at the same time it was the will of God. Now some might question, was he really dead? I simply would say, ask Jesus' best friends if they thought he was dead. Ask Jesus' worst enemies if he was dead. Ask the Roman guards if he was dead. Surely they would testify that Jesus truly was dead. Ask his mother. Ask Joseph and Nicodemus as they handled his lifeless body and laid him in the grave. And then that grave was sealed. Ask those closest companions what it was like on that following day, that Sabbath day, that mournful Sabbath day, what it was like for them as they mourned the loss of their Savior. Some were stunned, others were fearful. They were all mourning this, this terrible loss that they experienced. What a sad Sabbath day. What a sad last day of the week it was for them. But something early that next day took place. And before we even get to our passage, we need to consider some things that took place this day after the Sabbath, the first day of the week. It was a momentous event. All four Gospels record it as fact. It's been believed for years and years and years. It's been testified to by many. It's been celebrated 
this momentous event, and yet no one, no one can describe what actually took place in the tomb where Jesus has been laid. Some try to explain it. Some would assume that there was a great flash of light. Some would assume that something powerful and amazing happened inside. We simply don't know. We know it's powerful and amazing, but it was, was it this flash of light or was it simply that the lifeless Christ came back to life in power and in glory? We simply don't know. It's almost a mystery that's too sacred for us to enter into. Now, the interesting thing about mysteries in Scripture is that for believers, mysteries strengthen our faith. For unbelievers, it causes more doubt, but for believers, our strength is actually, our, our faith is actually strengthened by these wonderful mysteries that are so profound that we are not welcome to enter into those things. Somehow in this, in this sacred secrecy, the soul of Jesus that we know went to be with the Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit, is what he said at the cross. We know that his soul was reunited with his body and that his lifeless body came back to life in some form different than he was when he died, but the self-same Jesus. The self-same Jesus. Those moments are shrouded. The disciples do go in and they see the linens there and they see the thing that would have been wrapped around Jesus' head carefully folded. But what actually happened in there is a mystery upon mysteries. Almost as mysterious, maybe more mysterious, than when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and Jesus was conceived. A deep, deep mystery. We know that Jesus came out of the tomb and he was somewhere that morning in that same body, transformed, incorruptible, now in this new state. That's what we know happened before this. And yet we're not given all these details. This is what we do know is that the women went early in the morning while they were mourning to the tomb. The sun was still coming up. They went to the tomb and we know that Mary and a number of other women went we know that when they reported that this tomb was opened and that Jesus wasn't there, that John and Peter ran to the tomb. And they looked in and they saw an empty tomb, which was significant, but still no Jesus. Well, Mary had run to Peter and John with the distressing news. Someone has taken his body. Uh, the women that stayed encounter an angel... They're told that Jesus is risen from the dead. They're to go tell the, the apostles, but they're fearful themselves. Again, Peter and John are on the scene. They see the empty tomb. Peter goes in. John goes in afterwards. And they believe at least that the tomb is empty. But so far, no Jesus. Mary Magdalene, who had been a close follower of Jesus and who appreciated the fact very deeply, I'm sure, that she had been delivered from seven demons, goes back and is weeping at the tomb. 
And as we read, she's first encountered by the angels, and she turns around and she sees Jesus. Sees Jesus. She doesn't recognize him at first until he says her name. And then her heart is warmed with the presence of Jesus that she loved so much. He's alive. He's alive. And so Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. And then he appears to two disciples walking on the road. Then he appears to Peter. Then he appears to the apostles. Then he appears to Thomas in the self-same body, still bearing the scars in his hands or his wrists and, and in his side. And then he appears to many others, at least 500, at least at one time, 500. And to race ahead, he appears to Stephen in his glory, and it appears to Paul in his glory. But now, now we know that it's not just an empty tomb, it's a living Christ, and that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. And so we want to get to why, why that makes all the difference. So we've gone from Thursday to Friday to Saturday to Sunday in the scriptures. But what about today? What about the meaning of the resurrection today? How is, how is this significant today? Well, the Bible just doesn't record this because it's fact. The Bible records this because everything that matters is bound up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it becomes very personal for each and every one of us. What is the significance? I offer two main things. The first one is that it has to do with the glory of God. The glory of the Trinity. Jesus said his life was here to bring glory to the Father in heaven. Jesus is glorified in living the perfect life and dying and then rising from the dead. The Holy Spirit is at work the whole time. This is the glory of God before our very eyes. Stunningly, second only to that, seems to be the salvation of sinners. But before we get to that, it's also a vindication of Jesus Christ as truly being who he said he was, truly being the Son of the living God, the Christ. And here's where I want you to look at a couple passages with me. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Because we discover in these first few verses of Romans the significance, but also the key to the whole letter of Romans. And here's the Apostle Paul, who once would have certainly denied the resurrection, who was once going after people who believed in the resurrection, now this is the Apostle Paul who is unashamedly preaching Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Romans 1. 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. 
Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And we'll end there. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. God is glorified in this. Jesus Christ is vindicated, glorified as well. But it's also very personal. Because in the resurrection of Christ, the spiritually dead have been made alive. Turn with me now to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. What has happened to you who believe, if you truly believe in Jesus Christ? What has happened to you? Have you just been convinced of a philosophy or a system of belief? Let's take a look. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. But listen again. Listen again closely. And and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? That's the resurrection power that's taken a grip on believers' souls. Did you notice Paul says it's the same power? That life-giving spirit that has taken you from death to life? From death to life. In order to really understand just how glorious and powerful a thing took place in your soul through Jesus Christ, we have to understand what we were before that. And for those who are outside of Christ, it's what you are. So listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, very next chapter, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body 
and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you've been made alive in Christ. Just consider how dead you were and how amazing what took place in you is. And whether you recall a distinct moment when you came out of the state of all mankind, dead in trespasses, whether you remember a moment like that or whether you can't remember a time when you didn't trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the only one who could save you from your sins, you need to know just how powerful and how glorious this is. You were dead by nature under wrath, but you've been brought from death to life. And it's all bound up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, that same resurrection power exerted in you. The Holy Spirit breathed new life into us. And so we have no reason to walk around as if we're still dead. As if we're the living dead. Romans chapter 6. Again, listen closely to the word of God. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's true for believers. But for those who haven't trusted in Christ, there's another side of this. Did it sink in when the apostle described your condition in this life? It's death. And that's foreboding for the next life. You must know how dead you are. And you might be sitting there, if you haven't trusted in Christ, saying, I don't feel dead. I pinch myself. I pinch myself. I, I feel alive. But you see, we're speaking now about a spiritual death. 
Sure, you're alive now. But your soul, according to Scripture, is dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritual death is quite another thing. It means you're cut off from God. It means you're far from God. It's hard to imagine a more awful thing, even in this life, described as misery, true misery of soul. But again, it's foreboding for the next because it's one thing to live life now, pinching yourself saying I'm alive. It's one thing saying I think therefore I am now. It's quite another thing to fathom an eternity cut off from God and not having his wrath appeased as we read, Christ has done. He's appeased the wrath that you deserve. I guess what I would say is for anyone who's in that condition to consider what God says and pray that the life-giving spirit would open your eyes and your ears and touch your heart and transform your soul. Maybe that's the reason God has you here today. And so we're here celebrating, celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Every Sunday, every day we should celebrate, but why this Easter Sunday? Was it, is it because Jesus was a great man who was unjustly killed and then rose up from the dead in some strange way? Or or is it because he's our Savior who died and rose again to give us life? Is it because we believe in a mere system of faith? Or is it because the same resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in your soul? Big difference. See, Scripture really only acknowledges two conditions. One, life in Christ or death outside of Christ. Life celebrated by those who can say, I know Christ, and those who don't know Christ and need to know Christ. Well, here's a spoiler alert. Not another one, you say. Spoil the whole thing. Not so. You need to hear this. All of us need to hear this. In 40 days, Jesus will ascend to the right hand of glory. 40 days. He's reigning right now. And as sure as Jesus was born, and as sure as Jesus lived, and as sure as Jesus died, and as sure as Jesus was buried, and as sure as he rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of glory, this same Jesus is coming back. He will return. And in our passage, we see this revelation of Jesus before he ascends and before he returns, and, and there he's bearing the wounds of crucifixion. And we anticipate that we'll still see those wounds in glory. The one who had been pierced. We will look upon the one who has been pierced. 
and those whose sins have been covered by Christ on the cross and have been brought to life by the power of the resurrection will see those wounds and will say that those are the wounds of the one who saved me. No wonder we sing, crown him the Lord of love. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Rich wounds yet visible. Rich wounds yet visible. Above. In beauty glorified. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. I want to take us to a place that's a vision, it's a revelation. And John the Apostle has his great vision that Christ gives him from heaven. He says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. I don't think we should imagine too much, but I can't help but think of that hand being laid upon us, upon John. And if it was in a spot where he could see that hand of Jesus on him, according to the revelation, would bear the marks of crucifixion. Bear the marks that he bore bearing the scar that reminded him, reminds us of the death. That love applied to us by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit, the resurrection power through the love of God for us. That's the hand that I want to see. That's the Christ that I want to see. He is the Christ that we all will see. Praise the Lord. He is risen and he reigns. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for the fact that you've glorified yourself through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. Lord Jesus, we praise you as King of kings and Lord of lords, crowned with many crowns. This morning, crowning you in our hearts as the Lord of love. Loving sinners like us, dying for sinners like us. Rising up, we thank you so much. And this morning, we are so thankful that the resurrection power that was exerted in Christ has been exerted in our once dead 
souls now brought to life, new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so we do rejoice this morning that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.